0: how do we actually design workplaces that really help humans to flourish, right? And that, I mean, we, we're talking about this now as if that's sort of a, you know, a fairly normal thing, but I don't think 20, 30, you know, 40 years ago that was necessarily expected of work. Um, but I think there has been a substantive shift in, in the cultural expectation of what work can be.
1: Mindful Work is the official podcast brought to you by the Mindful Life Mindful Work team. Amidst these rapidly changing times, our conversations will explore the intersection of self awareness and team performance and help you to optimize your efforts through mindful work. On this episode of the Mindful Work Podcast, Calvin Niles explores with guests how mindful work connects to building a mindful workspace, followed by insights from the Mindful
2: Life Mindful Work team.
3: Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Mindful Work Podcast. I'm your host, Calvin Niles, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the end of season one of our first podcast at Mindful Life, Mindful Work. In this episode, we'll be hearing from some of our past guests and one of our most recent guests as well, Dr. Richard Safir, who came on on our last episode for well being to expand a little bit more on what it means to build. A mindful workplace now over here in the uk there's an organization called the mindfulness initiative very much a thought leader in the space of building mindfulness in policy and in workplaces and jamie bristol says in his foreword that we spend more of our time working than doing anything else and researchers have found that these hours are on average the least happy of our lives Endemic stress in knowledge-based industries accounts for a large proportion of workplace absence and represents a huge loss of national productivity. Meanwhile, success in most organizations relies on the very things that happiness and stress erode. Collaboration, creativity, cognitive flexibility, and effective decision-making. Now You know that we spoke about these things in this podcast as well. And we are going to certainly try to give you some tips to implement uh, a more mindful workplace so that those things can thrive in your own work. But he also goes on to say in his foreword that new perspectives in science are increasingly helping leaders to see that the cognitive and emotional resources of their colleagues determine their health, resilience, and future performance of their businesses and institutions. So in this episode, we're going to explore these things and more. But before we do, let us do what we always do. Let us take a mindful pause.
2: Pausing is so very important. Wherever you are in your day, whether you're at work or at home, whether you're working from home, just come into a moment of either closing your eyes, if that seems appropriate or safe to do so, wherever you are, just sort of letting your eyes go out of focus a little bit and sort of diffuse focus uh, soft focus and just take a moment to check in with your breath to notice how you're really doing to notice if you're racing or feeling pressure in some way um, feeling pulled forward into the future in some way or whether you're sort of falling back and remembering regretting or considering or ruminating about the past in some way and just really check in what is here what is now by noticing breath we can really check in and really notice what is the reality of the present moment how is this moment for real when We don't put a layer of hope or fear, remembering. When we pause, when we notice that this moment is like this. It's not different in any way than this. So notice when you touch into this, this is always available. Whatever this is, whatever this moment is presenting is always available prior to or before we have thoughts about it. I encourage you to take this throughout your day in some way and to carry this like a candle or even a refuge throughout the day as a place to go to when needed. Have a wonderful day of practice.
3: Thank you for taking that mindful pause with me. And it is the final mindful pause for season one. So thank you for participating so openly with the mindful pauses in this show. And I hope it's helped you to embed a practice that you can sustain until we meet again, of course. But going back to this idea of working more mindfully and how to Embed mindful working practices in the organization. We've got an article on our website at mindfullifemindfulwork.com that sets out three tips that you can do to work more mindfully. And one of them is to set time and space for practice. If you're an individual, create some time in your schedule to disconnect from technology and tune in with yourself. It can be after lunch, during the coffee break, before or after work, whatever suits you. Option two. Opt for monotasking instead of multitasking. Neuroscience has already said that we are monotaskers. And if you're used to switching back and forth between tasks, you should think twice. Multitasking taxes the brain. And it can actually harm productivity. Number three, bring mindfulness and mindful approaches into your company culture. If you're a team leader or entrepreneur, you can integrate mindfulness and mindful approaches into the workplace culture in many ways. Things like proposing a device-free meeting, beginning meetings with a minute to arrive, or an exclusive quiet room for meditation are simple ways to begin team conversations around making small changes. So some of these ideas are ideas you've heard before, um, but we're going to find out some more. So let us get going. With how to build a mindful workplace,
4: so we have to figure out ways to to find the correlation. Like today, burnout. You know how mindfulness can help with the burnout, right? How mindfulness can help with attrition. How mindfulness can help with the equity, inclusion, and diversity. These are these are because if you look at it, you know, going back to again the child bro all these things come from inside you know it's with the self so so it's not the outside the only thing what we need to do is create a system system that can support these good habits build these habits so um yeah so so those are i think some of the key obstacles in a corporate world in a larger organization but uh, but we you know there are evidences including our uh, organization we we didn't wait for the the top down we started from the ground up you know a mindful peer to peer network program in our um, organization to support each other and and it's a 100% volunteer uh, uh, effort and uh, with the, with the facilitator and and uh, you know it's it's thriving and then leadership got the, the attention so it's it's a big program so it can start you don't have to wait for the leaders to start. It can start organically from the ground up. So
0: I think, you know, this is, and this is such an, you know, I think it's a somewhat emergent frontier at the moment, you know, where we're looking at, uh, you know, so traditionally when we think about things like HR and, and you know, these kinds of traditional functions inside companies, oftentimes they were more, you know, they've been more sort of compliance focused. So more about how do we meet our legal obligations as opposed to, where I think the shift is going now is to how do we actually design workplaces that really help humans to flourish right and that I mean we we're talking about this now as if that's sort of a you know a fairly normal thing but I don't think 20 30 you know 40 years ago that was necessarily expected of work um, but I think there has been a substantive shift in in the cultural expectation of what work can be and so When we, what I'm talking about now is how do we not have mindfulness just be something that, say, an employee grassroots initiative or a learning and development initiative? How do we actually start to build in into, say, an example? How do we hire talent in a way that's mindful? How do we retain people inside our company? How do we have policies that allow for, say, um, families to, to work in more, uh, you know, helpful ways. So how do we actually build into the very fabric of the company and how decisions are made, um, you know, more aware and more mindful uh, processes? I think that's still quite emergent. I, I don't think that's certainly a conversation that's been done, but I think it's where a lot of our attention is starting to shift now, um, you know, as an industry. So in in my my universe, usually folks come to L and D when um, I you know, and it's a, it's a common joke. But but people when people so oftentimes when the business has challenges, particularly around people, the the response will be let's do a training. And that's that's often the, that's often the reaction uh, in a business will be oh let's do a training. And so you know oftentimes I you know I want to preface this by saying there are you know if you have for example you know, a whole bunch of your employees who, who are experiencing burnout. Sometimes it's not, it's not enough to have a training on burnout. Maybe they just need less work. So, so that's what I mean, right, about the difference between the structure versus, versus learning. But if we are thinking about it from a learning and development standpoint, one of the first things that we, we start with is looking at what is going to be the impact on the business and what are those big numbers that, uh, that the business wants to move. So sometimes those are, those questions will be around retention. So how do we, you know, how do we retain the, the top talent that we want to have? And how do we make sure that they feel that they're developing in the ways that they want to? Um, do we have folks, co- you know, progressing in their career in the way that they want to? So what are those big numbers that, that the business wants that impact on? So we start with that and then we build backwards from there. And to give folks who who may not be in the L&D world, I don't want to bore them with all the technicalities of it, but, but we often will start with, uh, you know, looking at our kind of our target audience and, and doing a lot of those kind of beta testing. So we'll, we'll take a little, our target audience, we'll kind of beta test. Um, I work a lot with international businesses, so we also want to test for things like location. We want to test for things like uh, cultural differences as well. Um, those are very real, how people learn. We also want to look at personality differences. We want to be robust with our data, kind of measuring uh, across those that piloting phase. Uh, and then we want to also um, think a lot about as well sustainment. So when we go to scale and when we move to scale, how do we make sure that this is not just a one-off nice training, right? That we, we don't want to just have a nice training. We want to build in um, measures within a business so that people have the skills and support to implement, right? We were talking earlier about uh, teams, right? And so, for example, when we build team trainings, we want to have a whole lot of support, comms uh, and leadership buy-in, which is key to make sure that people can then start to use those tools and skills within the team context.
2: So
3: in this new era of hybrid working, international teams operating at a skill that we probably never seen, not only in our own lifetimes, but in lifetimes of our parents and our grandparents. How can we scale working mindfully across these very global teams in the same way?
0: I grew up living in a number of different countries myself. And I just, I love, you know, I love that process of understanding intercultural connection. I think it's such a fascinating topic. And for our, for the listeners as well, um, if, if you're interested in that, I recently read the book, The Culture Map, which is a fantastic book on uh, working across cultures. So if, if any if folks are interested in that topic, I would encourage you to, to look at that. Uh, you know, so I think when I think about uh, those intercultural pieces, particularly as it relates to learning and development in particular... Uh, and I would say around mindfulness as well. Um, you know, at the moment, a lot of my focus is on uh, the topic of building well-being. And that also connects very closely to the topic of mental health, which comes up a lot when we talk about mindfulness. And one great example of that is, um, you know, mindfulness and, and, and also mental health is considered very differently in different parts of the world. And so one example we encounter is, you know, in some countries, talking about your mental health can be something that's considered, you know to sort of not show you in the best light. And there can be quite a lot of stigma around talking about your mental health in the workplace in an open way. And so we need to be really sensitive to that. Um, You know, another thing I think too about mindfulness is for, you know, in some places, mindfulness has a connotation as being religious um, and, or it has a connotation of being sort of a, a spiritual practice. And so for some audiences, that really won't land uh, if, you know, people saying, oh, you're teaching me something that's religious or spiritual uh, in my workplace and that that isn't appropriate. And so we have a whole lot of different indicators that we need to be thinking about and looking at. Uh, The other thing, too, I think about, and this is just basic good learning design, uh, you know, in certainly in, in the West, you know, in in San Francisco, where I live, you know we often think that into high levels of interaction is what creates a good learning experience and so you know we you know oftentimes in a in a classroom in the states they'll be oh tell me about your thoughts and your ideas and you know that's the way we think of it as a good learning experience but in other parts of the world actually oftentimes learning is done as having someone who's considered a you know a sort of a, a mentor uh, and then mostly the learning is just delivered Uh, by the mentor giving ideas and then the learners kind of receiving it. And so kind of trying to impose that sort of uh, highly interactive model that you might see in the US doesn't always work um, in other parts of the world. And so we have to be sensitive to all of that and build in uh, a real mix of ways of interacting Allowing for introverts, so the introverts who hate being called on in a a large group, right, or, um, you know, allowing space for someone who wants to be more extroverted. Uh, We have to build all of that in when we're we're thinking about scale. And so you want to have a classroom that holds all of those elements uh, and allows each member to feel uh, that they're, you know, that they're part of that classroom experience when i think about the first one the the person who wants to build out a mindful practice say in within their organization you know when we started that place i i think there's a couple of assumptions you know that we might want to ask about so the first might be where is that person located within their company are they in a senior you know decision making you know, position or are they someone who's looking to start from a, a grassroots perspective um the first thing you know one of the first things that I, I always think of, when I think of that, is about building up an initial groundswell of connection. So if we say take someone who's at a, say, relatively more uh, junior position and they want to build that up, the very first thing is about building engagement and building a sense of momentum within the company, right? So a lot of folks I've worked with, for example, they'll run a couple of sessions and then they'll build a list. So how many people are coming to this? Um, At the moment in my present position, you know, I'm part of uh, an employee resource group. So they might build out an employee resource group. Um, A lot of folks do that. And then they start to actually build momentum and then start giving, um, you know, training sessions to the business, for example. That's one way of doing it. The other way you can do that, of course, is approaching your functions like L&D and HR and things like that and start to build in that way. In my experience that takes longer and generally you want a lot of buzz before you go and reach out to those types of departments.
3: Thank you to Sarah Hunt and Sanjay Kapoor for helping us to ask these important questions of ourselves, of our peers, and of our companies and organizations to help us to take the first steps into building a mindful workplace. You may remember in episode nine, I had a fantastic guest by the name of Dr. Richard Safir, who spoke all about building a mindful organization, yes, from the perspective of well-being, and he talks about the six building blocks of a well-being culture model. Let's just have a little reminder of some of the things that he said about those building blocks in episode 9.
1: I subscribe I, and, and I promote a well being culture model that's made up of six building blocks. And one of them, one of these building blocks is peer support. We are greatly influenced, our health and our well being is greatly influenced by the people around us. And I don't just mean our family and friends, I mean our coworkers as well. These are the people we spend most of our waking hours uh, with. And so to have a mindful team, we need to not only pause and think about how we're feeling but we need to pause and think about how the other person next to us is feeling all too often when we get stressed at work we meaning anybody who's joining us for this podcast today we um are are more often quick to make assumptions and and not allow ourselves to see the world through the eyes of the person or the team that we're working with. And a mindful team will recognize that we're all individuals working together. uh, And and that impacts the dynamics of our work together. And there are are a lot of different um, skills and and strategies and and ways of thinking about how to create strong uh, peer support and teamwork. So, that it's easier to be mindful together. I, I think that we're all on our own mindful journey. We're all on our own well being journey. If you're in a position of influencing the well being journey of an organization or even a team, then you're going to benefit by expanding the way you look at this opportunity. And yes, our social connectedness is hugely important. And I would say that that is one building block, this peer support idea. A second of the six building blocks that I I propose that organizations follow when they're trying to build out a comprehensive well-being plan is something called social climate. And social climate is a collection of attributes that include um, a a positive outlook. And so trying to see things uh, with the cup half full a sense of community so that people on the team feel like they belong and there's a high level of trust and collegiality and collaboration.
3: So Dr. Richard Safir and I continued our conversation and he shared even more on those building blocks and what organizations can do to implement these building blocks in their structures. The conversation was valuable and I think it was so rich that I want to share the rest of the conversation that I had with Dr. Richard Safir about these building blocks, about employee well-being, and how we can build a mindful workplace.
1: Number three is leadership engagement, and there's many different things leaders can do. Uh, Number four would be norms, and norms are the shared behaviors of a group that is in common. So uh, in, in the context of our conversation today, Calvin, wouldn't it be great if uh, our work teams all had the norm of spending five minutes at lunchtime doing a mindfulness exercise together? That that would be a great um, benefit. Uh, fifth uh, building block, and these aren't in any particular order, by the way, are the shared values. So I talked to you uh, or shared earlier that Johns Hopkins Medicine includes Uh, our community's well-being is a strategic priority and has done so for 10 years. That is a shared value. A shared value is both what's important to the organization and what's important to the people who make that organization come to life. And then the sixth building block I call culture connection points. And these are all the different interactions or connections that an employer can send out between uh, the employer and the employee. And so I'll give you uh, a couple of examples in the context of mindfulness. So Calvin, we think uh, breathing is really important, uh, not just because it helps us stay alive, but we know that when people are mindful of their breath, it can quickly lower our stress levels. So we actually have made a concerted effort to make 478 breathing a norm within our workplace. And so here are a few different culture connection points that we use to make that happen. One, we when we launch this, we put it up on our LED screens that are across our hospitals. Two, we use it as a screensaver as a reminder for people. Three, our employees can get a little ID badge that fits behind a little badge that fits behind their ID badge, so they always carry it around. When you go through our facilities, you got to swipe your secure badge. Uh, Four, we use the 478 mindfulness, uh, I'm sorry, breathing exercise in a lot of our different programs to either start or finish it, and we even use it in our new manager orientation program. So those are all different connection points that contribute to uh, the well-being culture.
3: Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So as soon as people join the organization, it's already it's really being in, in uh, driven into the fabric
1: of that's, how yeah. John Hop yeah. Fantastic. That's the you know, listen, people can choose to do it or not do it, but yeah. we all know that it's easier to engage in a healthy behavior if the people around us are engaged in that behavior and if the organization supports it. The only other thing, Calvin, I want to say is I realize after I explain these six building blocks, I actually call out Mindful Life, Mindful Work in the book, A Cure for the Common Company, uh, because I want the readers to realize that they don't have to uh, go on this journey alone, that there are organizations like Mindful Life, Mindful Work that are there to help other organizations put these resources and strategies in place. And and that's great, because we shouldn't all have to be experts about everything. We are much better served when we realize what our strengths are and where we can ask for help. So, Calvin, thanks for having me today, and uh, I I do hope we get to to meet again.
3: Well, that brings us to the end of Episode 10, and sadly for me, the end of Season 1. But I am very excited and energized at the prospect of coming back to you with a new season where we will explore many more fantastic concepts and ideas and practices and advice and the whole richness and depth that we get from our guests to help you work more mindfully. If you liked what you heard in our episode today, then I would love for you to leave us a review. Please head over to mindfulwork.com podcast.com or on any of your favorite platforms. Send us an email if you've got any questions at all at Niles at mindfullifemindfulwork.com and check out our work at mindfullifemindfulwork.com if you think we might be able to support you to embed any of what you've heard in this season in your own workplace. Thanks for being on this journey with me. I look forward to seeing you in our community space which is something else to look out for, where we will be engaging in more peer-to-peer conversations, more mindful workplace learning, and more holistic support to help you to thrive at work. In the meantime, I hope you continue to work more mindfully, and I'll see you next time.
1: Mindful Work is the official podcast brought to you by Mindful Life, Mindful Work Incorporated. To learn more about our work, visit www.MindfulLifeMindfulWork.com.